Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome listeners to your Monday Old Time Radio episode. I have decided to remaster three episodes today from the Cloak and Dagger series. In order, your episodes are Direct Line to Bombay, The Eyes of Buddha, and The Trap. A set of episodes focus on espionage, infiltration to obtain plans, creation of intelligence plans, and bringing that intelligence back to the US. I think Eyes of the Buddha has some pretty on-the-nose accents, but once you get past that small gripe, the story itself is quite good. Jam-packed, full of action, these three. So get cozy with your headphones, or if you're driving and listening to these stories, crank it up. Because I'm bringing you three old stories, remastered, just for your ears. Enjoy. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines? knowing you may never return alive. What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Espionage, international intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's adventure, direct line to bombers. The story of an American OSS agent who, during the height of the war, directed from the streets of Berlin an American attack, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. After you get back from a mission, you sit around and there's nothing to do but sit around. So that's what I did. I sat in a room in Milton Hall in England where OSS agents are trained. I thought about the restaurant on 6th Avenue I wanted to open after the war. I was never so bored in my life. Yeah. Hey, uh, Nicky, the colonel wants to see you. Very important. Okay, pal. Tell my pal the colonel I'll be there. And win the war for him. Da 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 da. That was how it all began. November 1944. After that, I didn't have time to be bored. I know you've just come back from a mission in France, Lieutenant, so it's strictly up to you if you want to go out again immediately. Oh, now listen, pal, I mean, uh, Colonel, <laughs> if I have to sit around here and do nothing, I'll blow my top. Uh, you um, speak German, don't you? Well enough to know that Hitler speaks a lousy German, full of grammatical errors. I, if I see him, I'll tell him. Huh? You may be closer to him than you think. Corporal? Yes, Colonel. Send in Professor Warburg. <laughs> That's how I met the professor. He was a little guy with a beard. He weighed about as much as ten cents worth of liver. 
He reminded me of my chemistry teacher back in Lincoln Junior High School. Professor, tell Lieutenant Olesnikos just what you told me. It's the greatest of pleasure, Colonel. Lieutenant, I am an escaped political prisoner of the Nazis, and I am here in England illegally. And you just walked into headquarters and told that to the Colonel, huh? Did you know you can be interned? I know that very well. But I can no longer sit by and be idle while I have a plan that I know can help the Allies. Uh, what uh, Professor Warburg suggests, Lieutenant, is that he be parachuted into Germany with another agent, make his way to Berlin. I, uh, I assure you, I can move about Berlin blindfolded. I know it well. Berlin? This could be interesting. What then? Then, with a radio transmitter, we could pinpoint military targets to American planes overhead. We could direct bombs from the streets of Berlin itself. Now, wait a minute. Walk around with a walkie-talkie in the middle of a raid carrying on conversation with bombers? When do we leave, pal? I am ready any time. Today? Tomorrow? Yesterday? Professor may have been ready yesterday, but the OSS wasn't. First, we were briefed for weeks how to get food coupons in Berlin, how to buy a railroad ticket, how to post a letter, how to greet a German officer in the street. Little things, uh, an American cigarette, an English match, a laundry mark could give us away. And there were big things, too. We were grilled for hours on cover stories. Forgeries became documents. Fiction became facts. Passes, stamps, signatures. Everything authentic, everything ersatz, including my manners and habits. But I was ready to pass as a citizen of Berlin. And then a plane took us high over German soil, and we jumped. Only a few kilometers to Berlin. We can walk it, make it before daylight. <laughs> we should find the farmer who owns this field and say Danke schön for providing us with so ideal a landing place. <laughs> yeah, we'll send him a letter sometime. Right now, let's get out of here. You will wait where you are. Kindly keep your hands in the air. Unless you want that I blow your heads off. Or let my dog tear you to bits. You've been a good dog keeping so still. Well, as your farmer, Professor, you still want to say danke schön. This is You, uh, you have made a mistake, my friend. My companion and I got lost trying to find the road. We, we came by accident on your field. That's right. We, both of us only recently discharged from the army. If you would care to see our papers right here in this knapsack. I... If you want to keep your hands up, I will let the dog go for your throat. I do not care to see your papers. I saw you parachute from an American plane. Uh-oh. Walk now to the barn. Rolf will see to it that you stay there. Won't you, Rolf? The German farmer left us in the barn and he didn't have to lock the door. That big black Doberman with the impatient fangs watched us as if he wanted us to make a move so we could jump. If we get out of this, my friend, I shall never again be a dog lover. Professor, don't move. Don't turn your head. Just listen to me. Yeah, I'm listening. There's some harness straps hanging on a hook right over my head. I noticed them when I came in. 
I can pull them down fast enough, I'll throw them over the dog when he leaps, try to untangle them. Yeah, but... There's some horse blankets near you. When I pull down the straps, throw the blanket over him. It's got to be fast. Better work. I'm ready. On three, then. One. Nice, boy. Nice, nice, big, ugly mud. Two. Three. The harness caught on the nail as I tried to pull it down, and the dog leaped at my neck. And then the nail came off, too, and the straps fell across the dog's snout. Professor flung the blankets over the dog's head. I, I have him, Nicky, but I can't hold him. The shovel. Where's that shovel I saw? Hurry, hurry. I can't hold him. Now, I hid him again and again. And then suddenly the only sound in the barn was the dull thud of the shovel. The dog didn't move or make a sound. Never would again. He had better get out now. Yeah, let's go. Ah, the smell of a bakery is always good. How fortunate it is. I have only this morning made pfefferkuchen, Joseph. Just the way you always liked it. <laughs> How good to see you again, Anna. I told my friend Nikki that you would take us in, help us. Naturally, Nikki. I will do anything I can. We, we may stay here then, huh, Anna? Oh. If all goes well, we will leave right after the raid tomorrow night. Yeah, 24 hours, all we need. Of course, you may stay. I still live above the bakery. There is an extra room. My grandson, Emil, will not be home from the youth camp for a week. You can what could I do, Nicky? What could anyone do in these days in Berlin but ride with the wind? Until there is a chance to fight against it. Helping you and your mission will give me my chance. Little Emil, eight years ago seemed like only yesterday. I used to sit with him on my lap here in this bakery and twirl my gold watch on the chain for him. Remember, Anna, how he laughed? Yeah, I remember. He has forgotten you by now. And you would not know him. He's 13 years old. Oh, 13 years old. Already they have poisoned his mind. I cannot get to him. I do not dare. He's a little parrot speaking only what is taught him. Uh, Nicky, some more coffee? No, thank you, Frau Leitner. More pfefferkuchen or apfelstrudel. A specialty of my shop, apfelstrudel. No, thanks. Six years ago, at this very table, I had Emil on my lap when the Gestapo walked in and arrested me. They did not like what I taught in their school. What's that? Someone's coming? I don't know who it can be. Customers never come by this late. Grandmother, surprise, I'm home. Emil! What is, man? Emil, your manners. These are friends. Just uh, passing through Berlin. They are just staying the night. This is Herr Neudek and Herr Josef. Heil Hitler. Oh, yes, of course. Heil Hitler. I did not expect you until next week, Emil. How is it you are here so early? Sure, I won a great honor, which I want to tell you about. I did not know I'd have to share it with strangers. Shame, Emil. These men are... Were... Soldiers of the fatherland. Yeah? Yes, Emil, we were both with the elite guard of one of Rommel's panzer divisions. Rommel? Yes, uh, that is before we received our medical discharges. Oh, Rommel. Sit down, my boy. I will bring you something to eat, yeah? Don't you want to hear about the honor I received? Look, grandmother. 
on my sleeve. A red swastika. Yeah, red for the youth movement. And a swastika because I learned my lessons faster than the others. The commander chief of the whole youth movement awarded me my swastika. And he told me I could take my vacation a week early. Are you proud of me, grandmother? Yeah. My boy, yeah. Let me get you something to eat. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm too tired. Going up to bed. Grandmother says you're staying here. Will I see you in the morning, gentlemen? Well, I'm not sure. Oh, they will be here. Now that you are home, Emil, I will sleep on the couch and give them my room. No, no, please. Oh, it is all right. It is settled. Good. Perhaps then, Herr Joseph, you'll tell me about Raman. A great leader. Yes, yes, perhaps. Uh, we will see you in the morning, Emil. Why do you stare at me? Do I stare, boy? I thought so. Have I met you before, Herr Joseph? No, I am sure not. Your face. Ever since I came in. Grandmother, have I met him here before? No, no, Emil. It has been years. <laughs> Fifteen, maybe. <laughs> before you were born. <laughs> I suppose so. Well. Good night. Professor... He wouldn't remember, would he? Oh, how could he, Nicky? He was a baby that last day Joseph saw him, barely five years old. And the professor was 30 pounds heavier, at least, and clean-shaven. Yeah, yeah. Anna is right, Nicky. Do not worry. He could not remember. Do not worry. But I couldn't help worrying. I lay awake half the night thinking about that kid in the room next door. The 13-year-old puppet with the new red swastika. It was just a feeling. I had a funny kind of feeling at the pit of my stomach that made me wish they'd kept him in that youth camp until after we were gone. When I got up, the sun had been up for hours, and so had the professor. I went downstairs to the bakery. There was a smell of fresh bread baking, and I knew Frau Leitner was in the kitchen. But the professor was sitting at the table, swinging his watch on the gold chain and talking well, to that uh, German quiz what kid. What have you learned, Emil? But why do you want to know? Oh, I'm just interested. I want to see how well you have earned that swastika. I stood at the bottom of the <laughs> stairs and listened. We have a leader who has revolutionized Germany. He is the greatest man who ever was or will be. When I joined the Führer's organization, the man in charge said... Join no organization but this. Forward, forward, the banner leads us to eternity. Oh, well, you have learned your lesson well. Hmm? Yeah, Joseph. Are you sure I have never seen you before? Of course not, my boy. Uh, I seem to remember. Hey, Joseph. Ah, good morning, Herr Neudeck. Uh, since we're just passing through Berlin, don't you think we ought to see a few of the, the sights before we leave? Yeah, yeah, you are right. We will leave now. Uh, perhaps later, Emil, we will talk more. The raid was scheduled for that night. The professor and I had a lot of work to do. We made arrangements to meet about 4.30 that afternoon at a tavern on Villanstrasse. We went separate ways. I did a lot of walking. And I made a lot of notes in my head. Klingenberg power plant was still functioning. The Austin Kreutz junction of the city railroad had been repaired. 
was an ammunition dump on the north side that our bombers couldn't see from the air. It's a nice day. A lot of Germans were walking the streets. And I made a lot of notes in my head. You've reached the hall now, mein Herr. Nein, nein, later. I am waiting for a friend. The professor was 15 minutes late and I started getting nervous. Maybe somebody had recognized him. I sat there and sweated it out. 15 minutes. 20 minutes. Half hour. And then he finally came. But he wasn't alone. Herr Neudeck, this is Hauptmann Müller. Uh, we, uh, we met only this afternoon and I uh, invited him to come and have dinner with us. <laughs> it was not quite that way, Herr Neudeck. It was I who insisted upon coming alone. I, uh, uh give this a down. You were with one of Rommel's Panther divisions, I understand. Yes, we were only recently discharged from the army. Myself, I am just back. Well, we will have much to talk about. Where is that stupid waiter? They're never around when you need them. Oh, he will be here presently. Uh, presently is not soon enough. I will go to see him myself. Where did you pick him up? He found me, my friend. There is a reservoir near the rail line. I was looking around. I think he was a little suspicious at first, but when I told him I was with Rommel, he became more friendly. I am beginning to believe I was in Africa myself. Just the same, I wish you could have shaken him. What did you find out? It was a profitable afternoon. And you? A profitable afternoon. Go He comes back. Ah, yes. At first, it seems strange to me that Herr Josef here should show so much interest in the reservoir. Well, I I was merely taking a stroll, getting reacquainted with Berlin. (laughs) Then I watched you. I saw you walk down towards the rail line. That was when I stopped you and began to talk. We are both glad you did, Herr Hauptmann. Gave us this opportunity to get acquainted. Yeah, yeah. Hope we shall see more of you while we're in the capital. Uh, perhaps, Herr Neudeck. Perhaps you shall see a great deal of me. Mm-hmm. I think I shall call the waiter and order some brandy. Oh, oh, I see. You have not yet finished your meal, Herr Neudeck. The leading. It's very good. Our diet at the hospital was not so very. Mm. No doubt. No doubt. Everything I ate stuck in my throat. I know what I wouldn't go down. I knew that German officer was watching me as a toy. Watching me strangely, and I didn't know why. I knew that something was wrong, and I didn't know why. The professor felt it, too. Her name is Gertrude. This is a I tell you about. And she has friends. Oh, very pretty friends. Uh, you would like to meet them, perhaps? Yes, we would like to very much, Herr Hauptmann. How you would have enjoyed them. We might have had great fun together. All of us. Unfortunately, you may be otherwise engaged with the Gestapo. What, what, what did you say, Herr Hauptmann? I have been watching you all through dinner, Herr Neudeck. You are an American. Do not move, I don't. I have my hand on my gun. But surely you're, you're joking. No, European. It's the way you do. 
to change the fork from the left hand to the right after the knife is used. But first, it escaped me. I just knew something bothered me. Then I realized what it was. There it was. The little thing that could put a rope around my neck. American hold the fork sideways in the right hand. In my nervousness, I'd forgotten a little thing like that European manner of eating. The would be very pleased. The sharp knife I'd been eating with was still in my hand. Almost as if it moved by itself, it disappeared under the table and halfway into the German office. Good work, Mickey. Good. I was stupid to get myself into that jam in the first place. We're not out of this yet. Waiter. Waiter. Now, my hair. Check, please. Our friend has had a little too much to drink. We will take him home. Yeah, yeah, right away. Between the two of us, we managed to get him out of there. His head was rocking back and forth like a drunk. The knife was still in him, so the blood didn't flow very much. He kept this cape around him. All right. There is no one around here, Nicky. We can dump him behind this shed. All right. We're beginning to leave a trail a mile long. So long, pal. It's nice meeting you. Come on, Professor. Let's go. When we got back to the bakery, there was more trouble waiting for us. Trouble 61 inches high, weighing about 110 pounds. Wearing a new red swastika on his arm. They're in the kitchen. Something is wrong. I don't like the sound of that. Come on. Why are you so stuck? This morning when we were at watch on the chain, I thought I remembered something. And just now, how I feel. Oh, you have never seen her use it before, Emil. I have. When I was very little, they get stopped. They arrested a man with a gold watch on a chain. I tell you, it's the same one. Emil, they do not even look alike. What about this? This broadcast radio I found hidden in your bedroom on a hat box. Uh, I... It's called a walkie-talkie, Emil. Give it back to me. Nick, you have to come back. You see, you see, we've wasted time. I should have gone to the authorities right away. They are afraid you, grandmother. He knows, Anna. I'm afraid so. I've been holding him here, hoping he would return. What did you say? You knew, grandmother, didn't you? They didn't think you at all, traitor. You're a traitor, too. Amy, get Amy, away from me. I hate you. I hate you. Nicky, get, get away. him. He's trying to run. I've got him. Let me go. Let me go. Stop it. They kill you. They have you shot. I'm not going to report anyone. What will I do with him? Uh, upstairs. Oh. His bedroom. Oh, stop. Lock him there until after you have gone. Right. Let go of me. Get your hands off me. I hate you. I hate you. Let me go. will have to come with us when we leave here tonight, Anna. You cannot stay now. Professor is right, Frau Leitner. That kid upstairs will turn you over to the Nazis so fast you won't know what happened to you. My little Emil turned me in. Uses, would he? Yeah, I'm afraid he would, Anna. It is best that you come with us. We are going to try to get through the lines into France. Once there, there are underground workers who will help us. Yeah. Nikki. Is it all right if I bring this tray of food up to him? He has not eaten. He's still such a little boy. Yeah, sure, sure. You or take it up, but don't untie his hands, remember? Yes, I will remember. Well, the raid ought to start soon. Let's go over this map. Make sure we have everything right, huh? Yeah. Now, the rail line is here. Mm -hmm. Sector 2, grid B3. If our bomb is knocked that out, Berlin's transportation is completely crippled. 
And here on the map, power plant is in sector six, grid G5. Mickey, he's gone. What? what? His hands. He got them loose. He lowered himself from the window with the bedsheets. What are we to do? He'll bring the Gestapo back with him. We don't know how long he's been gone. Professor, the window, quick. Yeah. The, the, the back door. There is a car coming. I there's, can see it. There's an alien. Now, look, can... look. No time. They'll have this place surrounded. How do you get to the roof? The roof? Yeah, yeah. Up those stairs. We can go to, to the other rooftop and perhaps escape. There better be no perhaps about it. We went up to the attic stairs and onto the roof. You could see the Germans from there. Four of them in black shirts spilled out of an armored car. Two of them broke in through the front door. Two of them started around to the rear. Then we heard Amy. There they are up there. I know. Oh, Amy, my boy. So fast. Nikki. Nikki, she's dead. No, well, it won't do her any good if we stay here. Come on, across the... Oh, that's music for my ears. At least we can keep them from getting more help right now. Stay where you are! Surrender now and it will go easier with you! Come and get us, pal! One of them did try to come and get us. He got it first. Right between the eyes. He swayed for a few seconds back and forth and then he fell off the roof on the street. That's one of them, Nikki. There are only two left. Two? What happened to the third? Nikki, behind you! Fourth Nazi had come up the other way through somebody else's attic and onto the roof behind. Get your hands up! Now there are just two left, Professor. I... Hey, Professor, what is it? My... My leg. I can't move it. I can't go any further, Nikki. What happened afterwards was a nightmare. It was if the earth cracked wide open. It was red hot and burning, and the noise of the planes and the ACAC and the German guns and the bombing made my, my stomach turn. We crouched behind a parapet, and I held them off while the professor directed the bombers. Attention! Attention, bombers! The Klingenberg power plant is still functioning and supplies electric power to vital industries. Bomb sector 6, grid G5. The Ostkreuz junction of the city railroad has been repaired. Knock it out, and all traffic in Berlin will be stopped. Sector 2, grid B3. All right. Go now, Nikki. While there is a chance. I can hold them off long enough for you to get away. I can't leave you here. No, no, they won't take me. Don't worry. Now look, I'll carry you. We'll make it. Come on. Listen. Listen to me, Nikki. Go across the next two rooftops and then down through the skylight. There is a tailor shop. Yeah, but go out the back door there. It leads to an alley. Once over the fence, under cover of the rage, you can make it. Now look, I won't go without you. All right. I will change your mind. Attention. Attention, bombers. Hey, what are you doing? Attention, bombers. Imperative. Wait two minutes and bomb crossroads at sector seven, grid D3. Hey, Professor, what are you doing? You're crazy. That's here, this sector. Go on, run. Run, Nikki. I'll cover you. I ran. I stumbled and fell and got up and ran again. When I got down in the alley through the tailor shop, I kept on running. And then the bomb fell and the concussion rocked the ground and I went flat up my head. 
back, I knew that our farmers had made another direct hit. The professor had not only held off the Germans while I got away, but kept them there until it was too late for any of them. A little German bakery that specialized in Apostreudel folded up as if it had been made of matchsticks. Somewhere in the wreckage, the professor with his gold watch on the chain was buried under it. And overhead, the planes headed back. There was nothing left for me there. I headed back, too. Lieutenant Gus Lesnikus made his way to France and after months from there to England. But his direction of the bombing raid from the target itself kept some of Berlin's major industries crippled and its transportation system paralyzed. And once again, the report of an OSS agent closes with the words... Mission accomplished. Listen next week when we again present... Cloak and Dagger. in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure were Everett Sloan, Bill Zuckert, Lily Darvoss, Barry Kroger, Michael Artist, Raymond Edward Johnson, Carl Weber, Jerry Jarrett, Bobby Weil, and Brad Barker. Script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. Music was under the direction of John Garth. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Collin production in association with Alfred Hollander, and was under the direction and supervision of Sherman Marks. NBC offers three of radio's top mystery adventure shows, The Big Guy, Sam Spade, and The Saints. In 1944, the tiny kingdom of Siam was officially at war with the United States. So there I was in March of that year in an official Siamese plane on my way to ask Siamese help in rescuing an American flyer from the Japanese. Sound crazy? <laughs> you ain't heard nothing yet. The Siamese character beside me had received his master's degree at Yale and his Ph.D. at Harvard. Major Laudol Prayadipak. I decided to call him Louis. Look down, Lieutenant Drummond, out of your window. Yeah? What about it? In those green forests, as you may know, still roam the ancient peacocks and the sacred elephants of Siam. Louis, I may as well tell you right now, there are four things I know definitely about your country. What are these, my friend? The Siamese twins were named Eng and Chang. Siamese cats have blue eyes. Somebody wrote a book called Anna and the King of Siam. And what is the fourth? Tan Yak Dai Fuying Mai. The one line I know of your language, which translated means, Do, do you, you want, want to meet, meet a girl? girl? <laughs> <laughs> well, rest easy. There will be no need for you to speak more of the language. Must a ghost have need of words? Once we arrive at Bangkok, you will be spirited from one place to another, my friend, as a ghost. Fasten your seatbelts. Kindly fasten your seatbelts. We are coming into the Dunhuang Airfield. Well, so far, this has been too easy. From Rangoon to a secret airport in Siam, where you picked me up in this plane, and here we are in Bangkok. Is this another hidden field, Louis? No, not exactly. What do you mean, not exactly? Oh, I should say there are about 800 Japs on hand about the field. Huh? Fasten your seatbelts, Lieutenant Burma. 
The official Siamese plane with the sacred white elephant painted on the side slid right across the field and taxied past hundreds of Jap soldiers guarding the runway. The hangar door at the west side of the field opened. The ground crew rolled the plane in. Then the door slid closed again as if we had been swallowed up. Louis and I climbed out of the plane. Uh, Lieutenant Brahman, this is Lum. He will drive us to the OSS hideout in Bangkok, where you will meet the regent of Siam, the leader of the underground here. How do you do, Lum? I do very well. Uh, Lum suggests we wait a few minutes before leaving. Oh, is anything wrong? I suggest you wait here. I will return, tell you when it is safe to leave. The two Japanese officials in car right outside. We waited. It was sputtering hot in there. And by the time Lum came back a few minutes later, my shirt was ready for the ringer. Officer's gone now. Is safe. We will leave by side door. Come quickly. Car is outside. You see, Lieutenant Berman, thus far your mission is proceeding successfully. Better not talk too soon, Louis. We haven't reached the hideout yet. Perhaps you are right. Ah, proceed, Lum. drove us right through the downtown district of Bangkok toward the palace which was being used as underground headquarters. As we drove through the streets, I could see Jap pillboxes in the internment camp and everywhere around us, walking the streets, guns in their holsters, were Japanese. Then we turned to the busy intersection and it happened. Lum, Lum, what up? Stop the car and pull out the wires. Oh, there's no need, Major. It has stopped by itself. All I had to do was speak nicely to it. Oh, my aching back. Hey, this is quite a place. Marble floors, winding staircase, just like the movies. Wait till I tell my wife about this. The palace set back only a little way from the street has been underground headquarters for two years. Huh? At all hours of the day, Japanese soldiers march up and down in front of it. Yet none of them know what is going on inside. Well, you can be sure of one thing, Louis. What is that, Lieutenant? I won't tell him. <laughs> After you, my friend. The servant has prepared dinner for us. You must be hungry. We will eat now. Only a couple of miles away were camps where Allied prisoners lived on little more than bread and water. Yet here I was, an American, right under the noses of the nips, consuming a dinner that began and ended with iced beer and included roast duck and freshwater prawns, salad, curried beef, dried fish, topped off with large bowls of fresh bananas and pieces of sumo, the Siamese improvement on grapefruit. Have you had enough to eat, Lieutenant? Would you care for something else? Oh, no. No, thanks, Louis. I've had more than enough. Bye. Coffee. Coffee. Hey, that, uh... What's his name? Bye. He isn't very talkative, is he? A good choice, we feel, for a servant in underground headquarters. He... Repeats less. Bye is a death mute. Uh, tell me, Lieutenant Drummond, what did you do before the war? Me? Oh, I was a stunt pilot. I barnstormed all over the country in old crates and jennies, anything that had wings. I got a trunk full of tin medals for almost getting my neck busted. Oh, I see. 
Now, look, Louis. I admire good pilots. And one of General Chennault's hot flyers is a prisoner of the Jets. Somewhere around here. If anybody's going to get him out, I'd like to be the one to try it. We will see to it that you get your chance, then. When is the regent coming? I'm anxious to meet him. Oh, he will be here. After midnight. After midnight? Yes. You see, this is the evening of the Japanese admiral's birthday. It was necessary for the regent of Siam to be there. Out of uh, friendliness, of course. About 12.30, he arrived. He was dressed elegantly in a white silk coat and white pongee trousers. On his head was a delicately embroidered turban. This was Lang Pradit Manudan, regent of Siam and head of the Siamese underground. I trust you will forgive me for being delayed. Oh, uh, that's all right. The Japanese admiral would never have forgiven me for leaving his party. Major, some more brandy for the lieutenant. Of course. How about your mission? Well, several months ago, one of General Chennault's best pilots crashed on the Burma-Siam frontier. Other members of his flight reported that they saw the plane go down, settle in the spreading banyan tree. But they didn't see it burn. So the presumption is he is still alive, somewhere in Siam. Yes, that's it. Major, in the morning, drive return to Colonel Sangwan at Camp Panjara. Yes, Excellency. I think Colonel Sangwan will be in a position to get the information you are after. That's great. Uh, Your Excellency, this may be a little out of order, but... Yes? Don't you ever get the feeling you're walking around with your head in a noose? (laughs) A very good question. Well put. I imagine I am a great mystery to the Americans of the OSS. No doubt they feel mystery shrouding our whole people. After all, you are supposedly an ally of the Japs. Supposedly. We are an independent nation, Lieutenant. Our people are proud and freedom-loving. Siam sits in the heart of Southeast Asia, an inscrutable Buddha. The Japanese overran our borders and from our capital in Bangkok declared war on the United States. The green flames of the jungle consumed us. So the Buddha sits, arms folded on its bronze breast, its face expressionless. But the eyes of the Buddha... Wink. Is that it? The eyes wink, Lieutenant. Its ears are tuned to the enemy and the jeweled lips whisper. There are 50,000 Japanese here in Siam, my friend. We will continue to wait and watch and listen until they are driven out. The next morning, Louis and I, with Lum driving, set out for Camp Punjara. Ever since my arrival in Bangkok, I had the feeling I was sitting on a powder keg that was liable to go off any minute. Driving through the streets in broad daylight didn't make me feel any better. But I figured the Siamese knew what they were doing. This time, nothing went wrong with the horn, but something else happened that gave me quite a turn. It sounds fantastic, and it was, but it really happened. A Jap MP directing traffic held up his hand, and the official car we were riding in stopped. I didn't like stopping. I felt better while we were on the move. Then all of a sudden, I saw a Jap soldier looking curiously in the window, staring at my occidental face. We looked at each other for a few seconds. Neither of us said a word. And the car moved on. Louis, Louis, that Jap soldier, he saw me. 
I know. Even with a civilian hat and his shirt over my uniform, he couldn't have mistaken me for a Siamese. <laughs> no doubt. But if he saw me, Louis... Put your mind at ease, my friend. I'm sure he doesn't believe what he thought he saw. And if later he convinces himself it was true and goes to his commanding officer, he will lose faith for telling so ludicrous a tale. You mean they won't believe him? <laughs> Come now, Lieutenant Berman. What would an American be doing in Japanese-occupied Siam, driving along the streets in full daylight? Ridiculous, don't you think? <laughs> You have come to the right place, Lieutenant Berman. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Colonel Sangwon. I have heard of the flyer you seek. I know the prison camp in which he is now being held. Hey, that's great. When do we start? And not so fast, Lieutenant. We must make plans first. This is not a matter to be undertaken lightly. Come. We will have dinner first. And then we will discuss the problem. Dinner, Colonel Sangwan. I've been wined and dined ever since I got to Bangkok. But I haven't done a thing. Ah, my wife, Sarah. We will dine. Then we will talk further. Does my English surprise you, Lieutenant Berman? I was educated in America. I am a graduate of Wellesley College. It was not your English which made the lieutenant observe you with such interest, my dear. It is your appearance. Am I not correct, lieutenant? <laughs> You're very correct, Colonel. You have an extremely attractive wife. Thank you both. My husband's lavish compliments embarrass me occasionally. I suppose they are to be accepted after only two months of marriage. Two months? Well, congratulations. It is I who am to be congratulated. A more coffee, Lieutenant? Colonel Sangwan! Colonel Sangwan! What is it, my dear? Louis, what happened? A car. Japanese Colonel Kishinami with many soldiers. Colonel Kishinami? What could he want here? He requests an audience with you. Lieutenant, there's no time to lose. That screen, quickly. Go behind it and pray to the great Buddha he does not stay around. And you, Major... Sit here in the lieutenant's place. Pretend it was your place. Quickly, quickly. Nobody had to tell me to be quick. I got behind the bamboo screen and Louis slid into my chair at the table. Then he stood up immediately with Sangwan as Kishinami came in, a great ornate sword swinging from his side. He stood so close to me I could have reached out and touched that sword. Would you care for some coffee, Colonel Kishinami? Uh, no, thank you. Colonel Sangwan, I'm here on official business. Ah, yes, Colonel Kishinami. What can I do to help you? We have discovered a clandestine airfield in this territory. Surely it is not so close to this camp without your knowledge. Airfield? Oh, certainly. Certainly. It was constructed as a temporary emergency landing field some years ago. It has been infrequently used. Our observation shows it to be in excellent condition and indicates constant activity. I cannot believe this. Let me accompany you and see this airfield. Chaba, my dear, you will forgive me? Of course. I will be here. It happened so fast, I couldn't believe my eyes. As the Siamese colonel turned to say goodbye to his wife, that treacherous Jap sword was whipped out, and Sangwan was very neatly decapitated. The 
Heading Sang Wan must have been the signal for the Jap soldiers in the room to take out their guns. But before they could do anything with them, Tabar sprung the Christian army and with a meat knife from the table, stabbed him through the heart. A nip soldier tried to get at her, but Louie got him first. Then that powder keg I'd been sitting on really went off. leader killed, they did not have much heart left for the fight. They are gone now. But, Louie, I don't understand it. Nor I. What brought on the assassination of the colonel? That pony errand he came on was just an excuse to get in. It is possible that the order has come for the total subjugation of our people by the Japanese. If true, it is open war from now on. Hmm. Will there be another attack tonight, you think? If so, we are armed and ready. There is nothing to do but wait. What about Tavar? Is there anything I can do for her? No. She is one of my kind. It is best to let me console her, Lieutenant. Thank you on her behalf for your kindness. Married two months. What a lousy shame. Go to your quarters. We will wait. Nothing further occurred that night, but none of us slept. In the morning, a big black official limousine drove up. It was the regent of Siam. I have received an apology from the Japanese government for the incident last night. They are quite adept at apologizing. My husband has been killed, and you call it an incident, Excellency? Yeah, how about that? It is my belief that the order for the subjugation of Siam had been issued by the Japanese high command and rescinded because they did not believe the time appropriate. But what about last night, Excellency? Evidently through some oversight or the difficulties of communication, Colonel Kishinami had not been warned that the plan was off. It is my belief that all will be quiet now for a while. Shall we sit quietly once more and wait for them to attack us again while our backs are turned? There are many of us in the underground. Tava is right. Let us attack them. Let me avenge my husband. Now listen, listen, wait a minute. You've played a waiting game so far. Wait a while longer. I know the fuse is burning close, but wait. That time is past, Lieutenant. Any open act on your part will really make the Japs crack down. Right now, Siam is the best listening post the Allies have in the East. Believe me, Washington knows what it's doing. You're a better help that way. The Lieutenant is right. We will continue to be a docile puppet state and sell out the enemy to the Allies. But your Excellency... I say we will wait. I have myself promised President Roosevelt that we Siamese will continue to be loyal... And silent, we will wait until we are told otherwise. Did you get the information you came after, Lieutenant? No, way. Uh, Colonel Sangwan was going to give it to me before... I know the camp you are looking for, Lieutenant. I will tell you what you want to know. <laughs> Japanese prison camp at Korat is only about five minutes' drive now, Lieutenant. The object of your mission ends there. We're taking a long chance, Louis. You are the one who is taking the long chance. You think it will work, though, don't you? I can only say I hope. When I turn you over to the Japanese commander as a prisoner, there is a strong possibility you will be thrown into the same stockade as the American flyer for whom you are looking. And if I'm not, just being inside those gates will give me an opportunity to find out exactly where he is in that camp. You find him. We will attend to the rest. I hope I can count on it. Trust us. Oh! Look out there! 
Major Playa Deepak from the region. I have a prisoner for Colonel Inotu. Very well. Pass. I am indeed indebted to you for bringing this prisoner to me, Major. I have brought him, Colonel Inotu, with the compliments of the Regent of Siam. Is it not to be expected, since we Siamese are the allies and the friends of the... Of course. Of course. You will be cooperative and answer my question. You understand? I don't know any answers. How did you get here? He just told you my plane crashed near the border. I... <laughs> what was your mission? How many were with you? Were you headed for a secret airport in Siam? Which one? Where is it? Who is your contact? You're crazy. I haven't any contact. I tell you, I just crashed. This I... American is going to be stubborn, I fear, Major. Give him time. He will break down. They all do. Unfortunately, they do not. The American flyer we have had interned here for some months has resisted all our efforts to obtain the truth. Is it not possible he has told you all he knows? Oh, come, come, Major. You find me too trusting. Perhaps, Colonel Inotu. Perhaps you are right. American. I will have you taken to the socket, where I ask you, take good look at the other flyer. Look well at him. Know that our worst fate awaits you if you do not cooperate. Sergeant. Yes, Colonel Inato. Throw the prisoner in the socket on the west side of the camp. I will deal with him later. I tried to hide the way I felt about being thrown together with the very man I had come all the way to Siam to find. I walked past Louis without looking at him. But out of the corner of my eye, I saw that his face was coolly impassive. Don't kill her with you, America! <laughs> took me a couple of minutes to get used to the darkness. And then the darkness took form and I saw a figure huddled in a corner. An emaciated, bearded figure wearing an American uniform. Lieutenant Davis... Who are you? Friend. American. Are you all right? Can you hear me? Can you understand me? I've come to get you out of here. Uh, uh, come here closer. Let me see you. You are an American. I, I don't believe it. Colonel Inertool told me to take a good look at you. I am. Now I'd like to go back and take a good swing at him. You heard that? What, what are you doing here? Who are you? Lieutenant Berman of the OSS. General Chenault asked me to find you. Find me? Get me out of here. Listen, listen. Don't talk. talk. Don't talk. Just listen to me. He listened all right. And even in the semi-darkness, I could see the light come back into his eyes at the idea of getting out of that place. At about 7 o'clock in the evening, the Jap guard outside the stockade was changed. A new sentry brought us in some food. Here, eat this. It is the best I could do. Slum, is it really you? Oh, this is better than I hoped. The Japanese guard whose place I took was willing to pay attention to a little bribe. Japanese soldiers are so underpaid, you know. Lieutenant Davis. This is Lum, a Siamese, a friend. Can you get us out of here? We have a plan. Tonight, when the moon is low, I will turn my back and you two will make a run for it. Try to escape. I'll never make it. No, of course not. You will be shot in the attempt. 
and killed. Uh, sorry, Lum. I don't think much of that idea. Haven't you got any others? I have not finished. Listen, uh, listen. I will only pretend to shoot you. You will only pretend to die. Huh? The Japanese soldier who was bribed and one other who has accepted our money will get you quickly, stand over you. A Siamese doctor in the camp will pronounce you dead. Leave the rest to us. It won't work. It won't Lieutenant work. Davis, if the Siamese say it'll work, give him a chance. When the moon was low, and the signal from Lum, we broke out and made a run for it. Stop! Stop! When we heard the shots, we threw ourselves face down on the ground and held our breaths. Stretched out like that, without moving, our eyes closed, everything that happened around us after that seemed to be a crazy dream. I fear, Colonel Inotu. They are already sorry. Was that, Doctor? What did you say? These Americans, Colonel Inotu, they are both very dead. Dead? What uh, shall we do with them, Colonel? Shall I wait your orders? Do with them. If they are dead, bury them, of course. Take them to the cemetery. And bury them. Now that our plan has worked, Lieutenant Berman, I may as well tell you, I was never sure it would turn out to be successful. <laughs> but, Louis, you did have this pain already in warming up at the cemetery. We Siamese <laughs> are eternal optimists. The graves are dug, Major. What shall we do? We will say goodbye to our friends, the Americans, first, Long. Then we will go back and throw the dirt over the empty graves in case Colonel Inotu comes to inspect them. A plane. Again, on a plane again. Out of this place. A plane don't happen. I pray, Lieutenant Davis, that you will both return to our land one day in happier times. I assure you of a greater welcome and far greater hospitality. And now, goodbye. And a pleasant journey. Just before we took off, Major Laudol Playa Deepak presented each of us with a green velvet box. In them were cufflinks of pure gold and pounded ruby dust, with the initials AM for the boy king Ananda Maidol, and a golden crown for the mark of the dynasty. A royal present from the king of Siam. As we looked down, we could see Lum and the two five Jap soldiers with Louis directing operations, shoveling the dirt in over our graves. Thus, on April 18, 1944, Lieutenant Davis, the missing pilot of the Flying Tigers, was rescued from the Japanese prison camp and rejoined his unit. And once again, the report of another OSS agent closed with the word, Mission Accomplished. Listen again next week for another true adventure from the files of the OSS on Cloak and Dagger. Heard in today's Cloak and Dagger adventure were Grant Richards, Everett Sloan, Ralph Bell, Barry Kroger, Raymond Edward Johnson, Eileen Heckert, Carl Weber, Martin Balsam, and Jerry Jarrett. Script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. Music was under the direction of John Garth. 
Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Collins production in association with Alfred Hollander. A story that can now be told. Did you ever notice the name Irwin signed in a fancy flourish on the covers of those kid comic books? You know, all about moon men chasing the earthmen into the stratosphere. Well, that's me, Irwin Hazen. I'm a little guy, about five foot four. Before the war, I loved flashy ties and babies. Uh, girl babies, about 21. So, what was Irwin doing being an OSS spy in a German-held town in France after D-Day? Listen, my children, and you shall hear. Sergeant Irwin Hazen reporting, sir. Here are those overlay maps you requested, Colonel. Good, good. Fast work, Sergeant. Thank you, sir. I'll, uh, look them over now. In the meantime, I, uh, want you to do something for me. Yes, sir. I just had word that one of our agents, Lieutenant Miller, who was sent ahead into Royer for advance reconnaissance, has returned. Lieutenant Miller? Yes, sir, I know him. He's, um, in that tavern about a mile from, uh, headquarters getting very drunk. Can't understand it. Doesn't sound like Miller. No, sir. He should have reported immediately. I want to go down and bring him back to headquarters. Yes, Colonel. Right away, sir. Oh, uh, Hazen. I saw that cartoon you submitted to Yank. Oh? They're good. They're good. Not very flattering of me, though. Uh, <clears throat> uh, no, sir. I'll, uh, I'll get Lieutenant Miller for you, Colonel, sir. Not all of the 12,000 people working with the OSS parachuted blind into enemy territory. Some of them stayed in Washington, making up secret codes. Some of them, like me, sat behind a desk in France and drew maps. But I was through sitting behind a desk the minute I walked into that tavern. Lieutenant Miller was slumped over the bar, swaying back and forth, and he looked very drunk. Hey, Lieutenant, what's with you? Huh? Uh, Colonel wants you to report to headquarters right away. Oh, uh, is that you, Irwin? Boy, you get your ear chewed off of this. What's the idea? Couldn't this wait till later? No. No, couldn't wait. You can make it otherwise. Gotta get to the Colonel. Hey, uh, bartender, how many has he had? Only two. They're little ones, Sergeant. Oh, yeah? Uh, Irwin, tell the Colonel. Couldn't make it otherwise. That's you, Kane. Can't make it now, maybe. What are you talking about? Tell Colonel Briere, heavily fortified. More than we thought. Saw it myself. Eighty pieces of 105-millimeter artillery behind the line. Germans were digging in. Well, come on back and tell him yourself. Hey, couldn't you have celebrated later? Made it this far. Needed a drink regular all the way. Tell Colonel, we're heavily fortified. Heavily fortified. The lieutenant, he is plus out? The lieutenant, he is dead. You see, Miller had been slumped over the bar, Colonel, so I couldn't see those bullet wounds in his chest until he fell over. Uh, 
Germans must have caught on to him and given him a chase. No wonder he got as far as he did. Uh, Sergeant, you're sure about everything he told you? Yes, sir. But we were positive that Germans didn't have that much artillery on the 7th Army front. If this is true and we had walked in not knowing what was ahead, our men could have been massacred. Uh, thank you, Sergeant. You may go now. Uh, Colonel, if you're going to send another agent into that territory to get a more complete picture of what's going on, uh, I'd like to volunteer. Sergeant, a mission like this calls for an agent who's had experience along these Yeah, days. yeah, I know. But you see, Lieutenant Miller was a friend of mine. Besides, I'm sick of spending the war behind a drawing board. Sergeant... Look, I can do it, Colonel. I can speak French fluently. And I'll do more than just look around and come back. I'll come back with sketches and maps and diagrams. Everything you want to know. Look, Colonel, the next time I send a cartoon to Yank, I'll... I'll, I'll make a very flattering one of you. Please, Colonel, what do you say? The OSS placed me in the custody of a French priest who had sneaked through the lines from Bruyere to tell the Americans about underground activity there. A few days later, the priest and I were on the road, 30 miles away from the American-held town, walking smack into enemy territory. The priest was in full clerical garb. Me? I was dressed like a French peasant. When the German took us, my son... Let me do the talking. Well, I hope we get away with it. Do not worry. Out of necessity, I have become a at making up very convincing lies. Yeah, but do you think the Germans will believe this phony story? Mm-hmm. What reason will they have to disbelieve it? Besides, I am well known and respected in town. The Germans have enough trouble now without stirring up the antagonism of the people by disciplining me for so small a reason. Well, all I can say is I hope it works. You have a chance to find out now. There's the chance. Ah, and there is a welcoming committee. Hart! Remember, let me do the talking. Hart! Who are you? Bonjour. I am Father Robert, priest of the church in this town. Madonna, this man... Uh, friend? If you are from this town, what are you doing behind the border? Is your permission? Let me see your papers, your passes. Uh, most unfortunately, I did not wait to request a pass. Come with me to the commandant's office. With pleasure. Come, my friend. Might as well. There's no way back now, Father. Given too much freedom in this town, Father Robert. This insolence is, uh, is too much. But, Monsieur le Commandant, this poor lad. You have asked it. Your name again. Francois. Francois Jovin. Call me by my title. Uh, Francois Jovin. Herr Commandant. Mm. Now go on with your story, Father Robert. It is uh, a sad, sad story of a dying woman and her last wish to see her nephew, this lad last remaining member of her family. Her husband, whose sons, were killed in the early days of the war. You see, I have the holy oils with me to give this poor woman the last sacrament. And why did you not ask permission to get this for? I, I was afraid, Monsieur le Commandant, that by the time 
the permission was granted, it might be too late. The woman might die. So I slipped out. When did you last see your aunt, Joanne? Why, uh, uh, over three years ago, Herr Commandant. Uh, and this is most irregular. Surely the request of a dying woman. Yeah. I'll let you go this time, Father there. There's enough unrest in this town without starting a tempest in a teapot. Uh, one more question. Yes, monsieur? If you manage to slip through the lines going out, why is it you did not attempt to sneak back into town instead of walking boldly up to the borderline? Sneak back into town? Why, monsieur le commandant, that would be against regulation. <laughs> But I do not understand either, Father Robert. How is it that you did not try to sneak back into Briere? Uh, our American friend, Irwin, uh, oh, pardon, Francois, uh, he can tell you that. Well, you see, Madame Jeanette, this way, if the Germans know I'm in town and supposedly staying with an aunt, I can move freely about without being suspected. Oh, I see. I see. Uh, the time is late. I must go now. Oh, Madame Jeanette. Eh, oui. If Monsieur le Commandant should inquire, I did administer the last rites to you, but the sight of your dear nephew brought the life flowing back into your veins. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> Will you not have something to eat before you oh, go? No, have not no, much no, to No, 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 nothing. I have much work to do. Uh, by the way... At last, meeting of the underground went very well, don't you think? Oui, Monty. Very well, indeed. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I can't thank you enough, Father, for everything you've done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Yep, we shall meet again. Who knows? If not, can't be with you on your mission. Thank you, Father. And my son, be very careful. Monsieur le Commandant is not very bright, but unfortunately... He is not a complete idiot. What? That was the last I saw of Father Robert. It happened like that all during the war. A member of the underground would come along, get us over a rough spot, and then disappear. But without all the help from all the little people along the way, none of the work of the OSS could have been done. They helped. They wished us luck. They left. After a few days of staying with Madame Jeannette, I almost felt that she was a relative. The old girl practically adopted me. Erwin? Hmm? One thing. What Father Robert told the commandant, it was not a lie. Well, what was that? I did lose my husband and two sons in the early days of the war. Oh, I'm sorry. <sighs> Hello. But it has been good these last days, looking for you, making up another bed, as if I had my family again. Are you being very careful? Well, I mind my own business, look around the town. From all I can tell, there are just a handful occupying it, just the way headquarters saw it. Looks like a pushover. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it is. Perhaps the agent who was here before he was mistaken. Miller? Uh-uh. The Nazis didn't pump air into him for nothing. He saw something. Uh, Madame Jeanette, 
Reese? Here, let me fill your plate again. Look, what's the best way to get through the forest to the river north of Briere? I'm going to take a look around there. Ah, indeed, that's the river. There may be something there. A guard is always posted. I thought it was just to keep the townspeople from leaving, but... But perhaps, perhaps there's something else. Is there a way past the guard? Ah, I have lived here all my life. I know a way. I will show you. Even take you pathway, myself. The woods began about a hundred yards back of Madame Jeannette's little house. And early the next morning, we started through them. I followed her through the thick brambles, through the narrow path she knew so well through the brush and the high grass that moved gently in the wind. Madame Jeannette's skirt caught on the brambles, ah. and she stopped, just long enough to rip off that part of her hem and leave it behind, swaying in the wind. Then she moved on, me right behind her. Maybe this would turn into a wild goose chase, but I had a hunch I'd find what I came for. Then we came to a slight clearing. I will go back now, Erwin. Return later the way we turn. You remember? Yes, yes, I remember. Ah, bon. Go now along the outskirts of this little wood. You'll see a hill. From there, you'll have a good view of the river. And anything that might be there. All right. I'll see you later. Careful. Careful now. A minute afterwards, she was swallowed up in the woods. A little while after that, I was on top of that hill, flat on my stomach under a clump of bushes, looking down through strong binoculars. My hunch was right. It was all there. And I began to sketch it quickly, but accurately. From somewhere, the Nazis had gotten reinforcements, and their high command had decided to make a stand, dig in and hold, there at the river. There were heavy artillery positions all set up, machine gun and anti-tank emplacements. There was barbed wire, lots of it. There were anti-tank obstacles, and the 105-millimeter artillery Miller had seen, all of it, there. A nice big booby trap all set for our men to walk into when they tried to advance north across the river. I couldn't hear them, but I could see them. Swarms of German soldiers working hard, working fast, digging in, getting ready. I took down everything I saw. And I had it complete except for the west bank of the river near the bridge. Too many trees blocking my vision. I had to get closer. By the time I got to the bottom of the hill and crawled along through the brush to the west bank... I didn't just see the Germans, I could hear them as well. See that more guards are posted at the edge of the town. The commandant wants no one snooping around here. Very well. No one will get through. There were too many of them all around. I knew it would be crazy to try to get any further without a plan. I had to have time to think about a way. I waited until they left. Then I slipped back the way I came, up the hill and through the woods to Madame Jeannette's. I went around the back, so I didn't see the commandant until I walked in. Oh, well, you are back. Yes, I, uh, uh, bonjour, Herr Commandant. I have been waiting for you. Well, is there something wrong? No, no, of course not, Francois. I am here to talk with him. Francois Jordan. I believe Father Robert told me that is your name. That is correct. It was through the kindness and understanding of the German high command here that you were allowed to see your sick aunt. You understand that, do you not? Oh, yes, I, I appreciate that. It was irregular, but we let you in. However, 
I am here to tell you that you had better have no illusions about leaving Bruyere now. Going back through the American lines to your village, sir. Well, no. No, I have no wish to leave. Why, you, you've anticipated me, Herr Commandant. I was going to request permission to stay here with my aunt from now on. I, I was in the square today looking for work. Yeah. Very good. As long as you understand. Uh, Madame, if you will allow me to say so, you look very well indeed. Oh, oh she was very ill when I came. Father Robert gave her last right. Ich wünsche mir dir zu sprechen, I'm not talking to you. Um, my nephew is correct, but to you, Herr Commandant, I was very ill. But, but I'm very well now. Yeah. Well, that was all I wanted. I will go now. But remember, you are not to leave Bruyere. What the commandant didn't know was that I had no intention of leaving until I made the sketches of the west bank of the river. Late that night, Madame Jeannette helped me bury the plans and diagrams I had already drawn. You are right, Tiger, to bury these here behind the earth, rather than leave them inside. It is safe. Okay, that's deep enough. Now, I put this rock on top of them. There, that's done now. You will go back tomorrow? No, I, I've got to get a good look at the west bank of the river. Ah, it is wise. You did not try to press further ahead today. It would have been too dangerous. I know another way through the forest. Well, tell me. It is a roundabout way, but it will bring you closer to the west bank. Or closer next at least, so that you will have a better view than before. Ah, but if there are so many troops, as you say, do not get too close. When you have finished, Come back to the woods the same way. I will be waiting. I did exactly as she said. Took the long way round, across little streams. Watched for landmarks. Dropped from high rocks and landed on rough little paths that were hidden by the brush. I did everything she said, except one thing. I got too close. Oh, Sergeant, you're laying those knives too far apart. What are you doing? I decided I'd better get out of there. And as I started, a twig under me snapped. What was that? Did you hear something in the brush? Hmm. Probably some small animal in the forest. Go see. That was it. There's nothing here, Herr Hoffman. Make sure. Remember the fragment of a woman's dress we found in the woods this morning? I was crouched down behind a rock. And the German lieutenant came so close I could have reached out and touched his mud kid's boot. He stopped for a minute. And then he walked right past me. There was something there. Well, we can't be too careful. Come with me. There's something I want to show you. I had everything indicated on my sketches. Minefield, tank positions... I knew everything about the west bank of the river I wanted to know. When the coast seemed clear, I started back. But I didn't get very far. Oh! Keep your hands up! In the air! I took a couple of steps and then slammed myself into a shallow ditch. I remember German bird guns and rifles crushing around me. A bullet went through the heel of my boot and sent a shock up my leg that made me wonder if it had been blown off. Then there was quiet. And I waited for them to come and get me. It was all over. 
Perhaps this will convince you we mean what we say. Look, I... I tell you, my name is Francois Jovin. You know my aunt. She's... What were you doing near the river? Well, I, I'm new in Briere. I, I don't know the forest or the woods. I was lost. Not that... Perhaps another taste of your fist. With great pleasure. Oh! Get him up. Put him back on the chair. Now, listen to me, Jovin, whatever your name is. We found this sketch of the bridge at the west bank of the river in your pocket. Look, I don't know. I don't know anything. That part of the sketch is quite complete. Every detail. The rest is diagrammed in lightly. Where are the rest of these plans? I don't know. Have you hidden them? Where? Have you given them to somebody? Whom? Where are the rest of them? <laughs> kind of unthought, eh? But not. Try twisting his arm again. Oh! Ah! Ah! <laughs> Fainted. Have him thrown in a cell. I will question him more tomorrow. That was the German way of questioning. Beating you up, twisting your arm. I was sure they had a lot more ways of questioning, but I didn't intend to say and find out what they were. I had to figure out a way to escape. And then I noticed it. The glass of the window in front of the bars had been shattered. I broke off a piece, and then I cut myself severely about the face. I guess it doesn't sound pretty, and it didn't look very pretty. But that was the effect I wanted. I heard the guard coming back. Quickly, I threw myself on the floor in front of the door, so that when the heavy door was opened, it would crash into my head. Commandant wants to see you. What's this stuff? Help, I must get help. My hair was matted with blood, and my cut-up face looked pretty horrible. Not that the guard was worried about the state of my health. He was afraid of what the commandant would do to him if I wasn't able to be questioned. He left the cell door open and ran. And so did I, in the other direction. I ran up the stairs to the second floor of the small town jail the Germans had taken over. Down below, I could hear voices. I didn't wait to hear any more. I slid down the sloping roof. And landed right next to a German soldier. It was a good thing it was my left arm they had twisted. I was better with my right anyway. I took his gun and ammunition belt and shot the front tires of the German cars. Then I borrowed a parked motorcycle. Just as the Germans were filling out the front door, I drove off, headed back to where I buried the paper. But the papers were gone. Everything I had worked on so painstakingly. The maps, the diagrams, the sketches, the plans. They were gone. Madame Jeanette. Maybe she had them. Madame Jeanette. Madame Jeanette, open up. Yes? What do you want? What? Madame Jeanette, where is she? I've got to see her. You cannot. But I've got to. It's important. Look, who are you? Where's Madame Jeanette? She died. What? what did you say? She died yesterday. Died? But I don't... The Germans... It's there after you go. I want no trouble. Go! That motorcycle ride through enemy-held territory with that car full of Nazis firing at me was wilder than the stories in the comic books I used to draw for. 
There was a phosphorus grenade on the ammunition belt I had taken from the soldier outside the prison. I pushed the pin with my teeth and tossed it back over my shoulder. Through the side mirror, I could see the German car slowing down. It stopped right over the grenade. And a minute later, there was a car full of very dead Nazis. sketches are gone, but I think I can remember most of them. The ones I drew last, the west bank of the river, I know completely. For the rest, I'll do the best I can. Did your uh, sketches look anything like this, Sergeant? What? Well, those are the sketches. I don't understand. Where did you... Barbara. Yes, sir? Send in the woman. Woman? What woman? I don't get this. I... This way, ma'am. Hello, Irene. Madame Jeanette, I, I heard you were dead. Your face? What happened to your Look, face? never mind that. Just tell me. Oh, when I learned you were arrested, I dug up the plans. And with other ground help, I got them through the lines to deliver them for you. Yes, but that woman... She had her orders. She was doing as I told her. Colonel, you know that tavern about a half mile from headquarters? Yes, Sergeant. Well, do you mind very much if I go there and get... Very drunk. The maps, diagrams, and information which Sergeant Irwin Hazen provided allowed the American Army to prepare a counteroffensive. Three days later, they were on German soil. I hope you enjoyed your three remastered episodes. I'm keen to hear your feedback on the Eyes of the Buddha episode. I thought I'd keep this in our cycle of OTRs because despite it being dated and the accents not that fantastic, I think it's important to listen to the stories behind it all whilst understanding the perspective of those acting out those roles. From what I can tell, they understood the cultural component of the roles they were playing, but also did not belittle or poke fun of the inhabitants in Bangkok. Quite the opposite. They were shown hospitality and maybe a little joke about how our protagonist was eating a lot there. I was expecting slurs, slang, and negative comments in these episodes. And to my positive surprise, this was not the case. There are some episodes, mates, that I just don't air because they can be really in poor taste. And thankfully, I can say that Cloak and Dagger at this point is not one of those OTR series. What were your thoughts on this episode though? Liked it? Hated it? Would be great to hear from you lovelies on this one. Now, let's jump into our Patreon supported thank yous. First up, my living legends, my Ode Night Tea Titans. Your theme is Nazi Infiltration. Maya. Lucy, the little banger. One of the only people to have broken into one of many Nazi intelligence bases and escaped. Posing as a guard and poisoning the dogs, Lucy was adaptive and malleable when it came to surviving such dire situations. Having talked her way out of forged documents, and talked her way into accessing confidential material, Lucy knows what her enemies want, and how to reprise them of what they have, ultimately getting her hands on their intel. Lucy's nickname, the Little Banger, stemmed from the use of firecrackers as initial tools of distraction. But that tool became so much more. One of her espionage missions 
was compromised. When a particularly keen-eyed guard recognized that she wasn't walking with a limp, something she hadn't known about the person she was impersonating, this was a file acquired on site and during action, so at times the intel she is given can be sketchy. What took place was a fistfight and Lucy being locked up in a dingy cell with a single toilet. She thought that her time was up. She had finally hit a roadblock that she can't break through until she remembered the firecracker. One quick spark of her necklace on the wall and down the toilet pipe it went and boyo was the hole huge. The entire wall connected to the old prison collapsed and she ran for freedom. With all the dogs being poisoned, that was an easy escape. As per her usual style, Lucy lived another day. Solstra, Amelia, the singing sweetheart. Blue eyes, blonde hair, she fit right in on the German countryside. But little did the Nazis know how many lives Emilia and her singing ballad had saved whilst nursing their enemy. As part of the Lebensborn program, Emilia was close to the heart of grieving mothers who had lost their children, husbands, and family. And being dedicated to the cause of saving lives no matter where those lives came from, Emilia's dedicated purpose was clear. When first encountering injured American soldiers, she aided them, supported them, and witnessing the cruelty delivered by her comrades, she had in her mind decided to defect. Emilia swore to bring in as many soldiers as possible to fight the regime that was killing her own people day by day. It was her song, her singing voice, that would calm the minds of her Nazi comrades and warn those under her care that the sharks are circling. Each song would have a different meaning, one for hiding, another for dinner, and another for as fast as your feet can carry you. During her time there, she would save 926 men, women, and children, and was never forgotten by those she cared for. Mates, feeling 100% at this point, and I'm loving that I'm back on my feet. So it was a joy to get back into these tales to say my thank yous to you amazing people. You both give such jaw-dropping levels of support. Both of you are bloody marvelous, and I'm so grateful for you to have my back. And my brilliant white tea warlords, I own cows, bulletproof Brian. No one has stared down the barrel of a gun as many times as Brian McCowns, and he's earned his nickname Bulletproof Brian for that exact reason. Brian started off working with the mob, a knuckle duster for his kingpin, and during that time he'd been shot five times, the only one standing after an aftermath with a rival mob. Hell, Brian didn't even know he'd been shot. That's how tough he was, till he sat down and felt a slight pain in his abdomen, the beginning of his epic level of resilience to death. Soon after, he enlisted in the army, trying to make it straight instead of down the thuggery path. And no surprise, he was a fantastic fighter. Down on the ground, he took many a Nazi gunfire and even a couple of bullets for his brothers in arms. During his stint, he withstood 25 bullets, all walking away, healing, and returning another day. What set Brian apart was his willingness to save others, and this was shown none more so than jumping on a live grenade that never went off. Just miraculous. By the way, all the while having collected five bullets in his body from enemy fire. Ah yes, bulletproof Brian, a man like no other. Lee Bauer, Brickface Bauer. Good old Brickface Bauer. A Nazi spy interrogator that was renowned for saying very little 
and getting a lot of answers. Simply walking into a room, sitting down and giving the spy a solid staring was enough to have them thinking, what on earth is he going to do to me? Sure, some spies were resilient, but they would all crack under his gaze. First, he starts with the lightest of questions, asking them how they are feeling, who they are, or who they are willing to say they are. Then he starts asking about what he knew of their personal life, their family, their loved ones, people they had met when they were children. And slowly the heat would turn up, identifying the intelligence they sent out, information regarding their colleagues and agents, their next steps. And each time he'd ask, and every non-answer, brick-faced Bauer would be more aggressive. But his face would never change. And every time the questions pierced the mind of the spy, he would dig deeper, press harder. But all the while, not a change of physical emotion. Brick-faced Bauer would erode the mental fortitude of anyone he dealt with. And not through violence, but through a mental tug of war. Many a spy left that interrogation room, and many of them were never the same. Thank you both for being amazing and supporting me, and every episode I am smiling thanks to your kindness. Cheers to both of you lovely people. And of course, my Elgrain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Tristan Cassidy, and Dolphin and Cow. Thank all of you for supporting me. Every month that goes by with your support, I'm able to improve, and I'm so damn thankful for that. A lot in the works, of course, for this podcast, and I can't wait to show you lovelies over the coming weeks what that is. Stick with me, you lovely people, and if you want to become legends like my Patreon supporters are, visit my Patreon site, www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt, and there you'll find the rewards and tier breakdown of what you get for supporting the show, and obviously me. Stick with me Wednesday, mates, for some more awesome tales, and as always, till next we meet.